Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller of The Bulwark. Hit the subscribe button, give us five stars, do all the things, and then go over to thebulwark.com and sign up to get our newsletters. I have got a banger that I am working on today, and uh, you people will want to want mm. to read it. It's going to be quite good. Sarah might even read it next week when she's like, sorting up through her email. Sarah, your lighting is really good today. I'm in my uh, home studio oh, nice. today. Do you have box lights? Do you have? Do you really like blow it all I out? I have or? whatever Barry did for me. It's looking today. good. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Barry, Barry. Barry gives me a setup. We love Barry. Okay, a uh, lot of stuff to talk about. We had old pudding fingers sitting down with uh, Jake Tapper last night, actually using the word pudding because I guess no <laughs> consultant had told him whatever you do, don't use the word Can pudding. I just say, that's an awkward conversation to have. Somebody has had to have these conversations with candidates, you know, and be like, <laughs> hey, maybe you should stop saying that. Like, I forget what, you know, there was one thing that Jeb kept saying that was wrong, and it's like, oh, God, but. Then you have to go up to him and be the guy that's like, hey, you know this thing you've said four times? That's not true. You hate to be that person. And so then to add on to it, to go up to him and be like, hey, sir, hey, boss, um, you really can't say the word pudding anymore because there's a big meme about how you like to eat pudding with your fingers on the Internet. It's an awkward, <laughs> it's an awkward combo to have. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because last night uh, our former president, the 2024 Republican frontrunner, Donald J. Trump, sat down with Sean Hannity and he said a bunch of stuff, including that Joe Biden got tens of millions of dollars. Now, this is the thing which is not true. It is not like tens of not millions of dollars from whom? From the Chinese and the Ukrainians and Burisma. So this isn't a thing where like the problem is that he's rounding up. Or that, like, actually, Biden only got two millions of dollars, and he's saying it says this is like saying Joe Biden owns five elephants, and the answer <laughs> is that Joe Biden doesn't own any elephants, and so you would think, nobody's proved he owns five elephants. <laughs> <laughs> you would think that somebody, as you say, Tim, one of the consultants, would sit. Jason Miller would come up to him without his chin and say, "Hey, sir, Mr. President, um, uh, you 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 can't say that, right?" But nobody says that, and furthermore, Donald Trump pays no price for this. So why did you have to tell Jeb, like, don't say this thing that's wrong? Because, like, uh, you know, you get, turns out you can just say whatever you want. Yeah. Well, we weren't playing on the same playing field as Donald Trump. I was laughing with my husband about this yesterday when Playbook came through, and he's like, I have to tell you something that's embarrassing. And I was like, what? He's like, I kind of chuckled at a Jason Miller statement. Because Jason Miller put out some, you know, he put out some chinless statement uh, about how, how uh, Ron DeSanctimonious's reboot is, like, you know, worse than the MacGyver and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot. And, you know, he has a time like and it's just all these personal attacks. And this is the imbalance that Trump, you know, plays on. Right. Is that he gets to just he called DeSantis a son of a bitch at TPUSA this weekend. Then meanwhile, we talked about this a little bit on the YouTube with Will Salatin last night, which you should check out. Um, DeSantis gets asked about Trump being indicted for the third time. We're now three minutes into the podcast. You haven't mentioned that yet. He's been he's about to be indicted for the third time, the former president of the United States, this time for a coup. And and DeSantis has to be like, well, you know, I, he kind of he spent a couple too many hours sitting around, it seems like, in the White House. But real the big problem here is Alvin Bragg, whistlehorn. <laughs> well, um, like uh, like that's you know, that, that that's the real problem. So so this is kind of an imbalance, you know, when when your opponent's calling you a son of a bitch, and and when then when he gets indicted for the third time you know, over a coup, you can't even like really criticize him by name. You know what, though? I, this is as, you know, as many, many people in the more hawkish side of, of the world criticize the Biden administration on Ukraine. They say they're practicing self-deterrence. This is self-deterrence. 
yeah. on the part of other Republicans. And you're like, oh, we can't. Why not? Why not? And the answer is because they're scared. Anyway, so Sarah, what did you think of the pre-taped town hall with Sean Hannity in which Fox decided to leave in the Trump allegations of election fraud with phony ballots? I guess that like when you're the whole purpose of pre-taping is to cut stuff that could give you more legal exposure out. I think it was a whole thing. Did you have, did you have thoughts? I guess my biggest thought was that it feels like time is a flat circle. And the fact that you guys just remarked at all about Trump having a different playing field, telling the truth, like, yeah, I don't like, this is, this is the guy (laughs) we've been dealing with. Uh, It's like, we got like a little break from this but not much of one and maybe it was just enough for us to like forget how compulsively he lies how much he does it like breathing how much so so much of what he did in the early days where we were really shocked by it was just say things that were flatly false and it was took a long time for people to be like you have to challenge that what are you like of course he doesn't have anybody on his staff being like sir don't tell those lies like he's got a staff of people that are like here's how we need to you know, frame things on Biden. We're going to talk about Burisma all the time and just say he has millions of dollars and people will believe it because we live in a world where we create our own reality for voters. And to listen to people cheering, you know, much like the CNN town hall, Trump also had, this was packed with a friendly audience when he would talk about the election being rigged. He called it election interference. Man, does he do this with the, uh, I'm going to take the language they use for me and I'm going to apply it to the things they're doing. So he talked about, uh, they, he said they make ballots. They just make up ballots. And it's election interference. Sarah, did you clock when he talked about how it was like a coup against him? Yeah. The guy yeah. who committed the coup, complaining yeah. about how it was like a coup that people came after. As you What's say, your line? Projection is the sincerest form, form of, of what? Trumpism. Yeah, the form sincerest of Trumpism. form of Trumpism. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I saw happening. I will say when I was watching DeSantis talk to Tapper... And he has that smile, like he's smile, you know, he's like sitting there grinning weirdly and uncomfortably before he gets asked a question. And I was watching Trump with his like glower thing that he does. It like, it works for Trump in a way that like DeSantis looks like a cheese ball. He looks uncomfortable. Trump looks like he's in control. And Hannity, it was funny the way Hannity opened up. He was like, you look well, Mm. you look healthy uh, because this is going to become a like stamina contest between two old men, like the man, woman, person. Oh my God. Did you hear Megan Kelly's take on this? Yeah, I saw this. Megan Kelly got to meet Donald Trump in person. The guy who you might recall uh, talked about how she was on the rag um, during his last campaign in 2016. Water under the bridge there for Megan. And you know, you know the, I, heat of the heat of the moment. Yeah. He just kind of threw out comments about my period, uh, but no big deal. Coup water under the bridge. Uh, what she was interested in, she got to see him in person for the first time in a while because of that little tiff that they had. And uh, she was raving about his stamina, how his staff just feeds him Hershey's bars and McDonald's, and yet still he has more energy than me. He's healthier than a horse. Uh, she goes on to say that that there must be mm. something. I just I wish I could get some of that gene pool. That line was a little on the border for me. Um, I didn't I didn't love that line. Uh, made me cringe a little bit. But yeah, I mean, this is like, they're all doing it. They're all signing up for this. Yeah. Back on the train. Sarah, you weren't here. Tim and I talked about this a little bit beforehand. I think that Trump has the perfect answer to all of the indictments. Here's, here's what he said. He said, they're trying to demean and diminish and frighten people. 
but MAGA is not going to be frightened. We're not going to be frightened. And that, I think, is the perfect catch-all response, which frames every indictment of him simply as they, meaning the people who think they're better than you, trying to demean you. And deme- I mean, you know, like just take all of the legal stuff out of it, right? Just say they're, they're doing this as an attack on you because they don't like you. And we're not going to be frightened. And we're going to fight back. This is like where Trump is really in tune with the voters, because this is what they say in the focus groups. Like every indictment to them is evidence that the deep state fears Trump, that this is what the establishment fears, that they're coming after him. And Fox News is carrying water for him on this. And and so is everybody else on the right. The idea that that's why they have the anti-weaponization committee, right? Because they want to say this is about weaponizing the DOJ. Like the way that Republicans sort of frame this stuff just as like a pure calm psychological standpoint, they understand their voters and they understand ways to set these things up to provide that idea of like, this is a two-tier justice system, Trump is being attacked. And it does create this sense in the voters of like, well, we, we've got to support Trump because they're trying to get him. They want to get him out of this race and we can't let Biden do that. We can't let Biden take out with his DOJ, his main rival. And you can see how that puts them on side for Trump. They're doing the talking points for him. Yeah. Yeah. They, I, I, like DeSantis, when he gives this answer, like they think that they are being clever. All of these people, DeSantis, all, but he's the most important one, but all down the line, they think they're being clever by saying, okay, this is my out. I don't, I, I can kind of avoid having to engage on the merits on this issue where a lot of MAGA voters are going to side with Trump and I don't have to pick a side between, you know, whether what Trump did was bad or good. I, you know, I can kind of make some generic comments about how it'd be better to not have baggage. And then I will pivot into this message about the democratic deep state and that will make the voters love me. But that's wrong. That That's, that's them doing Trump's talking points for him. Like he, he has set what his defense is and what his spin is. And now, you know, in a position where DeSantis and, and whoever else thinks they might have an actual chance of winning this primary, you know, has an opportunity to engage directly, they instead are, are doing Trump's talking points for him. So he, Trump could not show up at that debate in August, which I know we'll talk about, and have everybody on stage except Chris Christie doing his talking points for him on these indictments. I mean, like it's a, it is a total trap that these guys have all just walked into. And by the way, not just them. I, I read about this with uh, yesterday, uh, but but McCarthy, you know, McCarthy, and all down the line, you know, doing this whole like this conspiracy of oh, Mr. Trump's polling is doing so good, and that's why sleepy Merrick Garland has has decided to get off his ass and come after him which is like completely false, completely insane. The Speaker of the House is pushing this line, and there's nobody in the Republican Party besides, I guess, Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson and, and occasionally Mitt when he gets asked about it, who, who are even offering a counter-narrative. There's nobody. There's nobody on Fox. Yeah. Like, so, so Trump has set this completely bullshit narrative, and all of his opponents are echoing it. All the big conservative media people are echoing it. Even the Republicans who aren't in the race and would benefit from having Trump out of the picture are echoing it. What they really don't understand, what like Ron DeSantis doesn't understand clearly is if the framing of this is these indictments are these people trying to spit on you, then those people are not going to then turn around and say, yeah, well, I guess those people who we hate are just we're going to have to do Ron DeSantis instead of Donald Trump, right? Right. That then becomes a betrayal. That becomes like an act of cowardice. Of course, they're going to vote for Trump just to show them, just to spite them. Then you become one of the spitters if you betray Trump. Yes. And so, you know, I look at it, and again, I 
does Ron DeSantis really is he really in this to win? Because I don't think he is. I don't think yes. Ron DeSantis is actually running to defeat Trump yeah, at this is. point. You think he is trying to, to beat Trump? Yeah, he's getting bad. He's getting horrible advice. It's the same advice people that, that people have been giving Republicans for eight years now. But it's yes, there was a blind quote from a strategist a couple months ago that was like, maybe the next indictment will be the straw that breaks the camel's back or something. I, I think that's <laughs> the strategy. I think that DeSantis really believes that, that, that once we get to Iowa, once it's real decision time and people look at this. And did you see the old lady video? There's this old lady at a DeSantis event, and she's like, I love Trump in my heart. I love Donald Trump in my heart. And DeSantis is Warren put this out. And he's such a good man, and the people are coming for him, and the way that they've treated him is so horrible. But when I listen to you talk, my brain takes over. And I'm like, you know, we need somebody that can actually win. And as much as I love Trump, we need, we need somebody, you know, who can get this done or, you know, whatever. And DeSantis thinks that that lady is going to be like what people do in the end. <laughs> I, I, I think that they've really convinced themselves that they can win that argument and that that's not just, you know, a fan full of one-offs. I will say that is DeSantis's only hope. Like as a just strategically, you can't blame them for leaning into that because like the strategy at this point has to be you have to win Iowa on an electability argument and try to create momentum from there and disrupt Trump's sense of inevitability. That's it. That's the only strategy. Yes, but I get a little nervous when I see Guy Benson and the and the DeSantis the DeSantis stands out there tweeting, "Put this in an ad," and like the ad is an old lady going, "I love Donald Trump in my heart, <laughs> but my brain says <laughs> it's just like okay, yeah." Yeah, you want to know something? So you know, we in our shop have been talking to a lot of the two-time Trump voters and yeah. trying to understand the ones who want to move on, and that's how they all sound. And like, and let me tell you something else. If you put an ad out, I don't know if you saw the Club for Growth ad. Club for Growth ad was basically, it was the strategy that we have used. I, I endorse it. It is a permission structure strategy. They got this guy and John, someone from not Iowa, but from somewhere, saying that he loves Trump. He, lo he used the word loves. I loved Donald Trump. And Democrats are crazy and we have to win. And that's why uh, I need to vote for Ron DeSantis. If you test that ad, so here's what people do before they send millions of dollars on ads. They test them to see. Here's what, what some people do. Here's what some people do. That's right. That's it. Right. People who want to make sure that they don't have a backlash effect or they're not doing more harm than good or that their messaging sucks. A lot of people, they test their ads to make sure they're persuasive with their target audience. So if you, I know if your target audience is Trump voters and you give them an ad that doesn't include some I love Donald Trump or Donald Trump was a great president, but you don't give them that compliment sandwich around Trump, they reject it. They hate it. And this is just the state of the party. Have you tested anything which runs hard at Trump from his right? Which is like, you know, he promised us he'd build a wall and he didn't. There's no wall. Ron DeSantis went and found <laughs> illegal immigrants in Texas and sent them to Martha's Vineyard. Donald Trump never did that. Couldn't he have run like hard like that? You know what? We need somebody who wins, not somebody who loses and then whines about it. Ron DeSantis beat the crap out of the black candidate and then beat the crap out of that weird tan guy, too. I mean, couldn't you run like that at them or no? Is that? I suspect he will do that eventually. Their strategy is to run at him from the right. The thing is, is that they haven't chosen the wall. They haven't cho Homosexuals. What chosen is vaccines. 
vaccines and gays, gays, uh, trans and abortion, folks, and right? abortion. Yeah, that's right. So they're running to him from the right. That is their strategy. They just have picked, I think, the most toxic issues for swing voters <laughs> to do it with. Uh, and maybe even for like Republican swing, but like in in Republican primaries, like I'm not sure that you're going to win a whole lot of by saying, you know, we're going to six week abortion ban. Is that a winning thing in the Republican? Well, Jake Tapper asked an excellent question of him, which is like, right. like hey, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Your number one thing that a lot of people see in you is that you're Trump without the baggage. You're you're an electability candidate, but they're concerned that you're running so far right now. That you're not less and less the electability candidate, which is true. And to say, no, no, I won suburban moms in Florida. That's what I was best at. Okay, guess what? Different animal. It's not all Florida. Suburban mom, suburban mom in yeah. Tampa is a special animal. breed. God love you, Becky. Um, I hate to take over the, the thing, but before we get into this, we didn't we skipped over from the Hannity interview the former president's comments about Chairman Xi. Were you getting there, Javier? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, brilliant. Called him brilliant. Brilliant you know, guy. He rules 1.4 billion people with an iron, iron fist. fist. You couldn't even get, if you go to Hollywood and Central, you couldn't even get what nobody What is that likes. Hollywood line? What does that because mean? Because to him, that's the highest compliment is that somebody looks the part. He's a casting director, essentially. And he's not crazy about this because, again, he understands his voters, right? This is what the, that's why he does the jaw just thing. The guy who is supposedly going to be the toughest on China is the one who is just slurping up on on Xi. It's a little confusing, isn't she? Isn't the whole argument against against Joe Biden that he's somehow secretly on the take of the Chinese and he's been doing their bidding? And then later in the interview, it's like, damn, I love the Chinese. Just give me some of that Chairman Xi. I, I, that is confusing, and 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 it's also. Deeply alarming, like on the same day the New York Times does a big takeout on on Donald Trump's authoritarian aspirations. He's then on TV that night going like, yeah, and here's my model, China. Yeah. China is my model. He rules with an iron fist and there's no questions and everybody's happy about it. Great. Great. And he's over 50% in the party of freedom. (laughs) Sarah, one last thing before we get off of this and on to the next thing. A couple of weeks ago, Trump did a rally in South Carolina. They went to some small little town, which does not have the word podunk in its name. And uh, I think the town has a population of 4,000 people. And he brought 50,000 people. That's not true. That's took not over true. a town. Yeah. You're, yes, yeah, this, this is, is, is probably No, the, the 50,000 estimates. Who said 50,000? Hey, Tim, what if, it, what if it's 35,000? What if it's 15? What if it's 35,000? The 50,000 does not come from the Trump campaign. It comes from, like, the local paper. It's hard to count uh, 50,000. Bill Mitchell, the uh, former Trump uh, the Trump superfan, who's now a DeSantis superfan, oh, yeah. who's, like, one of his big shticks is undermining all the Trump crowd counts. It's kind of sad. It's like, ooh, yeah. they said it was 9,000, but here's a picture that makes it look like 6,500. And it's like, all right, man, well, DeSantis had 16 people. But you No, know, what's really sad is when Bill has to get back on the Trump train in a couple months, that's going to be sad. <laughs> well, the point is, a very large number of people in the state that is supposedly going to be where the great the great hope Tim Scott finally brings it all home. Sarah, like this is that like that juice, right? The excitement factor that there is nobody. Ron DeSantis could not bring out 50,000 people in Tallahassee. So here's my one counter argument to this. I agree with you, basically. But like Joe Biden also couldn't bring out 50,000 people. And so the world they're imagining is, is a is a world of Republican voters that are pragmatic. Right. Like that is everybody's banking on the idea that actually these are pragmatic voters and like they're going to come around to someone who they think can be Joe Biden that they like. And here's the thing. 
people do generally like Tim Scott. Like, this is one of those things where, like, if you go around a crowd of people, Republicans, and you're like, what do you think of Tim Scott? They're like, oh, I really like Tim Scott. He seems great. His name comes up a lot in focus groups. It's like, people just like him. They never come up in terms of wanting to vote for him. And so Tim Scott also, by the way, is one of the only people making, he's making actually a pretty specific pitch. And I gotta, I gotta tell you, I kind of like it. In a different world, this would work on a younger, more naive Sarah Longwell, which is he's making like a great American story pitch an optimistic pitch about how we're a great country. It's far too like wrapped up now in Trumpism and all this stuff. But if he was running five or six years ago with this message, I think it would be pretty appealing to people. And so I think people do like him. Uh, and I think, and I see why donors like him because they like that app. They like that, right? If you're a billionaire, you believe in the great American success story, right? You love seeing him tell that story. <laughs> Only in America can a moronic, yeah, right. philandering, thrice indicted buffoon be elected to president two times. And could I be his vice president? <laughs> this is a quick yes or no question for the both of you. A hypothetical. If we could have somebody come back in a time machine from the future to tell Republican voters, hey, guys, I have just seen the future, and I'm telling you, if you nominate Tim Scott, he will beat Joe Biden. He'll get like 53% of the vote. It'll be a 400 electoral vote landslide, and you guys will get to govern, like, you know, unified control of government. But if you nominate Donald Trump, you've only got like a 3 in 10 chance of winning. What chances do you think there are that the Republican electorate in America would nominate Tim Scott under those conditions? Because I think the chances are precisely zero. I don't think that moves anything. Because yeah. they'd be like, well, yeah. you didn't come from a future where Donald Trump won. <laughs> so maybe he would, maybe he'd win with 55%. Maybe he'd win with 58 mm -hmm. They just like Donald Trump, right? They want that. And they don't, they'll just like, oh, well, winning stuff. That's just cover. They can do what they want. I want to counter Sarah and then counter JVL. Uh, the Tim Scott thing, they do like him. But if you did you watch the Tucker Tim Scott interview at all? Did you get the chance to watch any of that? Yeah, I the, did. Who'd the crowd like better during that interview? And not even close. Tucker. Not even. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It wasn't even close. No, it's true. It's true. So they it's like true, him true. fine. But like once he got pressed on some of his more, let's say, traditional Republican stances vis-a-vis -vis somebody who has more of a, let's say, traditional authoritarian nationalist stance, like they were siding up well with Tucker. The one South Carolina thing that is working in Trump's disfavor, I think this is the first piece of actual news of a state party making a decision that did not help Trump. Because there was a lot of discussion for a while that state parties would like move things proportional and like the, the handful of state parties that were left that had normie Republicans running them like would try to, you know, put their thumb on the scale a little bit for DeSantis. And that does not happen at all. But South Carolina, they kept the primary later. So there is a big gap between now Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina, which is like, I think, hypothetically good, right, for somebody to challenge Trump, like versus a really fast first four, you know, where Trump could kind of bulldoze through with momentum and have the thing be over. So I think this changes things only on the margins, only in a situation where Trump is really losing altitude, which might not happen. But anyway, I, I thought that was a noteworthy thing that happened this week. Yeah, I mean, what it does is it increases what I think is like, again, the only singular path through, which is that somebody right. else wins Iowa. And so, and let's say Trump maybe even comes in first in New Hampshire, but it's, much, it's really yeah, close. Sure. And then you basically have like a long time for people to see if they want to make the pragmatic choice, right? All right, Tim, sing us a song of Huntsman. I've got a lot of I got a lot of rants coming. We're already 26 minutes in. I've got some good material left. I'm going to go get another cup of tea while Tim goes. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to keep it short. It's bad practice to like really 
spill a lot of tea about an old boss and to be super mean about it. It's just, it's just not good. And it's not something that I want to do. And John Huntsman is a well-intentioned person. And, and had he, had we won, you know, the presidency in 2012, the country would be in a lot better place. Okay. This guy, uh, he's going around with Joe Manchin doing the no labels thing. And I got to tell you, my worry antenna went up in a serious way. My like worry meter is tingling right now um, because I figured that like cooler heads were going to prevail on this, you know, eventually and that this was a grift and they were going to make some consultant cash out of this. And then eventually, no, but sending Joe Manchin and John Huntsman to New Hampshire has me nervous. Larry Hoganad has me a little nervous. They liked the attention. There was a room there where people were cheering for Manchin and Huntsman. And New Hampshire is a place where there are people that like this kind of no labelsy thing. I can tell you, having worked for John Huntsman and gone and done the New Hampshire primary bit where we finished third place, we got, I believe, 16 or 17% of the vote. So, you know, not horrible, no real chance to win, but, you know, a decent amount. Walking around Manchester and Portsmouth, he was popular. Right. Like people would see him be like, hey, John, boy, I'm with you. You know, like if you have 17 percent of support in a state, like people know who you are. Uh, you know, you're kind of famous. Like people show up like we had full events, not Trump size events, but, you know, you'd have town halls that have 400, 500 people there. That has an effect on people's psyche. You start to think, oh, this could actually happen. And I was watching that event and I'm like watching John Huntsman's body language. I'm like, these guys might start to feel like they're onto something here. Like, you know, they've got a full room. People are cheering for them. John Huntsman has never been a person that has a great political antenna, um, as evidenced by, you know, our campaign and then his failed run for governor when he went back to Utah. But he is a guy that like, you know, like he came from a rich family. A lot of things worked out for him in life. You know, you start to tell yourself that you got some magic here, right? <laughs> you know, realize your dad put the silver dollar behind your ear, <laughs> and he's also super talented. A lot of things came easy for him. So I, I just, I'm a little nervous. Despite being, a, you know, not a Trump-type Republican, he went and worked for Trump. He did not help our effort to stop Trump in 16. He did not in 2020. I just was looking at that Manchin Huntsman thing going, I, these guys might be, like, working their way up to convincing themselves that they can do this and that the country's going to turn their lonely eyes to them. And that has me that has me a little spooked. That's all I'm going to say. What do you make of the Hogan and Huntsman? Like, there's only one Republican on a unity ticket. You think that they're both angling for it? You think that Hogan, you think Hogan put out that video because he was like Huntsman was getting a little bit too much juice <laughs> on his media tour? I wonder. Mansion. I mean, this is all crazy. It's all just speaking to like this tiny slice of people that are are very over-indexed, let's say, in New York, D.C., in their social circles. So I don't know. Maybe that was just kind of a momentum thing, not a rivalry thing, or they're trying to create momentum for this idea. And maybe maybe cooler heads will prevail. And this is like, you know, we got to give this a good college try. We're going to give three months. We're going to try to build momentum for this. And if it comes to Thanksgiving, if the polls show Trump 48, you know, Biden 44, Manchin, Hogan 3, then we won't do it. Maybe, maybe that's where we're headed. But, but man, they're they're taking this a little more seriously than I hoped. The part of this that I find the most mystifying is that Joe Biden has governed as the centrist that everybody in a no labels kind of place would want. 
You're the only person that thinks JVL. I can't when you say things like yes, that. Yes, because I look uh, objectively at you know the things that he passed and is you know d- did the Supreme Court get packed? No. In fact, he you know he had his commission. Joe and Manchin then they came has back been the senator of the Supreme Court. How could Joe Manchin not think that? I guess Joe Manchin's been unhappy that Joe Biden wanted to do some stuff that he didn't want to do, but but. He hasn't been pressured to do anything. Joe Manchin has been the the vote. Everything that's happened, Joe Manchin supported, except for the student loan thing. Joe Manchin had wanted it, right? Joe Manchin signed off on literally everything other than student loan. Yeah, but right? he's, we don't he's have regretted. D- we don't he's... have D.C. State. We didn't kill the filibuster. All the things that okay. the crazy people like me wanted to do, you know, D.C. statehood and kill the fill, all that stuff. Joe Biden absolutely refused to do. And this is instead we've gotten a bunch of like spending bills, almost all of which were bipartisan. And, you know, Joe Manchin voted for everything. He's voted for everything that's passed. Yeah, but he's also been so he went on like an apology tour about the Inflation Reduction Act and signing on to that, which has worked. Inflation literally started turning around, as Tim pointed out, uh, when you guys were talking to Jampasaki, right? You know, like a week after they passed the Inflation Reduction Act, inflation turned around a little bit. Inflation started turning around because they started raising interest rates. I, I hear you, Sarah. I hear you, Sarah. But so we're going to go with the guy. That, that Your pitch is we need a centrist candidate like me who regrets support, <laughs> regrets supporting <laughs> some of the stuff that happened in the gym. Here's the thing. I do not think Joe Biden has been a crazy progressive extremist. Like, agreed. But I also don't think he's been like the centrist of our dreams. And that's maybe because you and I have different definitions of centrism, whatever. He has been fine and he is absolutely within the bounds that the idea that no labels would need would treat him as an extremist candidate that they needed to run a centrist candidate against is absurd. So like you and I agree on that. Especially with like the Trump thing in the New York Times this week, right? Where he's talking about centralizing authority in the executive branch and remaking government in a more like again, if you're no labels and you're looking at Joe Biden's administration versus Trump's stated vision for how he wants to remake the the executive branch. Like, how does that yeah. work? I don't understand it. Also, what are the substantive policy differences that a mansion huntsman ticket would have? Like, I guess they want to drill. JBL, I saw that you wrote a triad about this. What is it? You, was it yeah. no labels, no <laughs> ideas? No, that wasn't me. That was a that was a piece we had on the website. Oh, okay. I did not write a triad. Great headline. Dennis Aftergut wrote that. Great headline. I'm sure the piece is as good as the headline. Uh, the point is, what is their policy platform? They put out like a 70 page like <laughs> pile of goop. And, and then like... they were asking the Huntsman and, and Mansion about the and they like disagree. It was like, you know, somebody's like, so where are you guys out on carbon tax? And like right. one of them was like four and the other one's like against. And so it's like, oh, okay. Awesome. <laughs> It is, as Tim said, it's the craziest thing. Like, we have the the legislative accomplishment list that Joe Manchin wanted, and then he's going to say, but, you know, the Biden administration is so extreme that we have to risk electing Trump so that we can have a third-party guy like me. Oh, my, it drives me insane. It makes me really angry. It's concerning, though. My concern meter is, is increasingly high. My concern meter is high, too. Uh, and I've actually been a little bit, like, on the people are overreacting to no labels bus because i think like okay guys like settle down it's one thing to get 20 percent when people are like uh imposing their hopes and dreams on oh that's the centrist candidate of my dreams and then like the second you're like it's joe manchin and john huntsman and you're like eh, eh. it's gonna be cinema <laughs> it's gonna be kristen cinema i'm telling you she's the one qui bono right she's the one who has nothing to lose and everything to gain by being a presidential nominee who's a third party 
I think you can run centrist candidates. I just think you have to run centrist candidates from within a political party. Or if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, right? If it's Trump versus Bernie Sanders, then run your centrist candidate, right? This is one of those things, though, that's interesting about political parties just today, which is that they are weak. They're weak enough that they can be hijacked, right? Or like there's like a chunk that would run down the middle against them, but they're too strong to like not have a political party, right? And so like, you're still gonna be stronger as a Democrat and yet it's like the Republican party was so weak, Trump could just completely take it over. But he had to run as a Republican. Look, if Joe Manchin, if there was an actual constituency for what he wanted to sell, then he would run in the Democratic primary against Joe Biden, right? This is, and and if Larry Hogan, if there was a constituency, then Larry Hogan would run in the the Republican party as, uh, as a Republican or frankly, in the Democratic Party, I submit to you, Larry Hogan might get a larger vote share in Iowa and New Hampshire running as a Democrat against Joe Biden than he would as a Republican against Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, it'd be eight versus three. So it's not like, an, it's like there'd be overwhelming support. But I think, yeah, yeah I think he'd be I think two X. He, yeah, he might His be, number three, would he might be, be two X, X in the Democratic Party. Than, uh, it actually yeah. could be five X. It could be 10 to two. These people don't understand. They're just Democrats. That's that's what I understand. Can't you people just get over the fact that as of right now, it doesn't mean forever. Do you don't have to get the tattoo? We're we're not doing this one again. Move on. I'll stop. Brian Kemp said that he will, of course, endorse uh, Donald Trump if he's the nominee. Is it possible that the only real good Republican is Mike Pence? Not. Because we watched it's Mike not. Pence with the, the with Tucker, right? Like Mike Pence is the guy actually doing all the things that everybody says they want from a good Republican. And I would like to. There's my. It amazes me, Sarah, that we're on opposite sides. Like I'm like, yes, Mike Pence, and but they should all go and become Democrats. And I have two thoughts on this really uh, quick. Well, my poor Mike. Pence, like, does Mike Pence have a humiliation <laughs> kink? Like, like Tucker just like ran rough. He and Mother have some all sorts of dark stuff. I mean, God love him. Good on him. Somebody has to be saying what, what he was saying. But since he doesn't have the tools to go head to head with Tucker in these kinds of things. And so like Tucker is like a rabid dog, you know, attacking him with like nonsense and like making shit up and being like Christians are being persecuted in Ukraine. And 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 Pence is like, that's not happening. And Tucker's like, you're a liar. You're, you know, the corporate media shill. And Pence is like getting smaller and smaller. Like, why is he doing this? He has no chance. Anyway, you should have listened to Sarah's focus groups. Uh, the Kemp thing. This goes back to the thing that frustrates me to, to you. I'm sorry. So I'm going to bring back the JVL point that I just said we need to move on from. But it's like, you guys are just Democrats now. Like, you guys are just Democrats now. And I'm like, give me a Republican to vote for. Give me somebody to vote for. Like, this is disqualifying. Like, Brian Kemp. Okay, whatever. Brian Kemp wants to be governor. I, but he's already been a two-term governor. What does he want exactly? Is he running for an office? Does it, What is he saving himself for? I, the 2028 presidential campaign, I guess. But like Donald Trump attempted a coup. He's been indicted three fucking times. Like he's a complete insane person. If you read his bleats, like they're they're like a crazy man. Charlie and Tom Nichols were doing this yesterday. You couldn't hire this guy to manage your Arby's with his rap sheet. You literally couldn't hire him to manage your Arby's. And you're like, yeah, I want him to be the president after he campaigned against me, after he called me a liar, after people were, you know, coming to my house, you know, after I was worried about my safety. Because of the way that Donald Trump attacked me, he's praising she, and I still think he should be the president. Like that just shows a, a lack of judgment so extreme. Like how am I? Like <laughs> what do you want me to do? Yeah, sure, fine. I guess I'm for Stacey Abrams over him next time. Like who do you want me to be for? You like how can you have demonstrate you have the judgment to be in higher office when you want the guy that can't manage an Arby's to be the president still? 
he's not in the midst of a primary right now. I guess he doesn't want the MAGA people to attack him again. He's scared for his safety. And he's the governor. He's got security. That's a quality rant. Do you know why? They all think Trump's going to be president again. Like watching the Megyn Kelly, they think Trump's going to be the nominee, at least. And like, might as well get it out of the way. And I think you're right to some degree about the menace that people feel. Like Kemp can do his thing and run. Like he ran his race and was able to win. People like Brian Kemp and they like how he governs the state, but he was very careful never to insult Donald Trump, right? Never did. He didn't take the fight to Trump. Right. I will say Trump had these guys all pegged. He really did. Trump saw that all of them were complete beta cucks and they are. The idea that Trump would be like, I will destroy you. This person's a fraud, a liar. This person was on her period and she had blood coming out of everywhere. And they're all like, you know, when he walks into a room, you just can't take your eyes off him. Like, <laughs> Megan Kelly's whole thing. She literally said caused that. me to like vomit That's a real my, quote. on my keyboard. Uh, yeah, I know it's a real quote. I couldn't believe. <laughs> I know, but just for listeners <laughs> yeah. who don't punish themselves with Megan Kelly clips, uh-huh. like, that was a real quote. So Sununu, this is I wrote a piece once. I haven't written that many, so you know. I, but a goodbye to the good Republicans because this yeah. is what they do, right? They are cucked by him. They expect that he'll be the nominee. And this is where I may have said this last week. And they're all going to pray that he loses. These people are all going to get down on their knees every single night praying that Joe Biden beats him. Yeah, they will. That's the weird part. They absolutely will. This is the collective action problem, and it's been going on for years. This is going to be the weirdest thing about watching this election again, especially for commentators like us. I mean, clearly we don't run out of content, but there is a part of me that just says, yeah, this is is what we're dealing with. It's Groundhog Day. Yeah. The social part of this, though, is important to going back to the, I, answering my own rant about Kemp. Like, <laughs> nobody, nobody in his world is like shaming him over this, yeah, right? Because right. everybody says, oh, that's what he's got to do. Right. Oh, it's what he's got to do. Like the people in the Republican orbit and the business community and all the people that he deals with, they will all agree with him and liked him and were Kemp Warnock voters. Like they're all like, yeah, he's got to do this. And it's like, no, he doesn't. No, we don't. You guys have an off-ramp right now. You have many off-ramps. Take your fucking off-ramp right now. You don't have to do this anymore. I, I, and and yet they all excuse it. And so if you're being Brian Kemp and you're like, man, if I if I say I won't vote for Trump, next time I go to the, you know, DeKalb County Republican dinner, I, they're going to throw tomatoes at me. Or if I say I do vote for Trump, then the worst thing I have to do is like, you know, maybe one of my wife's friends kind of looks askance at me at a dinner party, but nobody, you know, like, like from a social setting, like they've created a comfort bubble around this. So anyway, if you know a Republican, shame them. If they didn't take the off ramp after the attempted coup, then it means that there was literally nothing that they would take an off ramp for. Okay, fundraising numbers, the debate stage, Doug Burgum's little give me a dollar, I give you $20 thing seems to have worked. He told Hugh Hewitt today that he believes they will cross the threshold and get onto that debate stage. Why? I don't quite know. Do you have any theories behind that, Sarah? Why Doug Burgum is doing this? I mean, there's not a lot. Like Brewster's Millions style. There's not a lot to do in North Dakota. And he's got, he's a billionaire. And these guys have all just said to themselves, well, I'm a billionaire. Why not? I could do this. It could happen to me. I can run a pyramid scheme and get on the, like, what a business proposition, right? Like, (laughs) he's like, I I understand how this works. I'll do. And like, he's going to get on the debate stage and that'll be great. I am excited for Burgum. I think I'm going to decide to like be pro Burgum. One of the things I like about him is how slowly he talks. 
And so, like, in the frenetic, like, chaos pace of the rest of them, he's gonna... It's like a namaste. <laughs> he is a vinyasa. <laughs> he's like, it's like a page, just wait with bated breath. What wonderful droplets of capitalism will you bestow on us slowly? I just have one sentence on this really quick on the Hugh Hewitt thing. After listening to Candace Owens for a month, read my Candace Owens profile if you haven't, people. That's good. It's funny. Candace is, like, in a... Like, that's the real primary, Actual Republican primary voters listen to Candace, you know? Right. And on her show, Doug Burgum doesn't exist. Tim Scott doesn't exist. Nikki Haley doesn't exist. Like, none of these people even exist. Right. Like, the sure. only candidates that are ever brought up are Vivek, RFK, DeSantis, who she doesn't like, and Trump. That's the whole primary, right? And so it's kind of funny to me, like, that there's this whole imaginary primary that's happening, like, on the Hugh Hewitt show and on the on the Wall Street Journal Ed board and, like, in Carl Rove's, like, meetups that he has in Houston. And it's like, there's, like, a rich guy imaginary primary that's out there that they're like, oh, let's, you know, uh, we're, we're looking at all these metrics. And it's like, none of that even matters. Like, in the real primary, like, these people don't even exist as as entities. And that's important, actually, not just from the standpoint standpoint of those institutions, but from the standpoint of the candidates, like why does Mike Pence think he can do this? Why does Nikki Haley think she can do this? Because they spent a lot of time at AEI events. In the imaginary primary. That's right. Yeah. Well, they, and, and with the people of the Wall Street Journal editorial board, yeah. like yeah. if they spent lots of time with voters, if they actually were listening to I them, we watched oh, they would know. Tim, watch this. I'm going to break Sarah's brain. What if Joe Biden replaced Kamala Harris on the ticket with Mike Pence? There's your your unity ticket. What is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> a good Republican. <laughs> okay. Chris Christie will make it onto the debate stage, we think. Asa seems like he may not. And Pence? Tim, have you rethought your Chris Christie hatred? <sighs> no. <laughs> rethought. I, well, actually, that's not true. I have rethought it. I have rethought. I've thought about it, and I've come to the same, the same conclusion. <laughs> Not me, not me. I'm excited okay. he's going to be on the debate stage. Uh, I think it's good. Uh, I do think the problem... Maybe he so, could be Joe Biden's running mate. Yeah. Unity ticket. <laughs> okay. No. I do think... <laughs> sorry, I cut you, JBL, off before. You're right. I wonder, do you know, actually, in that list of people, so we know Chris Christie's going to make the debate stage. Right. Burgum might get there. Like, but like, Nikki? I think Nikki's in. I think Nikki Nikki's and in? Scott are in. Uh, okay. Asa, I think, is bubble. Pence... Uh, I mean, he's at 6%. Mike Pence is in third place. Now, maybe not for long because Vivek is chasing him and Vivek may may pop over him pretty soon. But uh, but he's in third place. He's raised a little bit of money. Not a lot. Very, very tough fundraising numbers for him. Is it 1.12 million, maybe? Sebastian can check that for me. Yeah, like half of it from his town in Indiana. Um, half of it from Indianapolis. And I suppose the other half from AEI. And, and, and if the average donor, you assume the average donor for Pence is high, right? Like he's probably not getting all dollars. Yeah. He's probably getting the full like general election. Yeah. I, I don't think he's even close to the, to the number right now to get on the debate stage. Yeah. Which is crazy. The former vice president of the United States is not going to, is not going to make the debate stage because he's been so rejected. So imagine what that would be if the guy who's not only the former vice president, but is also in polling in third place. If he, yeah, 1.2 million for his campaign. Wow. Yeah, because it's in third place from name ID. Yeah. Like the thing about Pence that's wild is that you're not measuring him on the metric of all the other candidates. You're measuring him on a metric of former vice president, 100% name ID. Okay. He, to be at 6%, it is pathetic. 
people know what they think of Mike Pence. A guy who couldn't be closer to Trump. He's losing to Vivek. Yeah. And Burgum's hot on his heels. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Sarah's man. Vinyasa Doug. <laughs> okay. Guys, it's been a good show. It's been a long show. Hit the subscribe button. Go over to thebulwark.com. Sign up for all the free stuff. Leave us five more stars on the Apple Podcast app, please. I keep tabs on these. I would like some better reviews. I think you people can do better. Yeah, have a little whimsy. Have a little whimsy, you know, in the reviews. What's I wrong like with a little the reviews? Whimsy. Oh, they're just a little literal and, you know. A lot, of, just, a lot know, of Tim and Sarah love. Not, I would say I don't pop on the reviews very often. Oh, not that well, I'm, obviously. Do you know, not I that will I'm go leave a review that. to talk about how much I love you. You've not reviewed our own podcast yet? <laughs> Definitely not. Have you reviewed our podcast? Yeah, not only have I reviewed our not only have I reviewed our podcast, I take Tyler's phone and I review everybody's <laughs> podcast, and then I leave I then I leave comments that are like, you know, I really love when you have on that Tim. <laughs> so when you're seeing the Tim name pop, that's me reviewing from Tyler's phone. I get you know, if I get a few beers in me at, at a with my buddy, sometimes I'll do you're it. Like, on hey, their give me phone. your phone. Give me your phone. I'm mm-hmm. gonna go to your iTunes and. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys, we got a banger of a show coming on Sunday. Am I right about that, Tim? Sunday, yeah. Yeah? Is that the one we taped, you and I? Yeah, Ben McKenzie. Ben McKenzie from the OC. Our second guest from the OC <laughs> on the Next Level <laughs> Sunday show. I want to get Misha, what was Misha Barton? Misha Barton. Misha What's Barton? Misha doing she was these pretty. days? I don't know. I, I actually, I'm going to ask Ben if Misha has any political opinions. Bring her we in. We could engage her on. Ben actually has a lot of substantive political, he, he wrote a whole book on crypto and so most of the shows about crypto, very you know, just a yeah, little. The entire show is basically about the crypt, about crypto because I never watched the OC. Uh, it's it's a really really good show. I would say if you care at all about the entire crypto scam world, Ben McKenzie is one of the two or three best writers on this in America, and his book is great. What a weird path for him to take. I know it's fascinating. We talked about that. Yeah, he's really <laughs> he's really good. Anyway, we'll see you on Sunday, and then we'll be back here next week on Wednesday. Bye. Peace.